Hello and welcome to Spotlight on the Faith. I'm Deacon Tim Criswell, your host, and we're here to focus on the gifts and talents the people of Western New York bring to their ministry. Today we're back with our seven men who recently received their call to holy orders. So once again, I welcome Kevin Barron, Todd Bowman, Jim Cantella, Marty Hackford, Tommy LaBelle, John Phillips, and John Ryan. In this segment, we're going to explore what the formation process was like over five years. When you begin the process, it starts with an inquiry period of getting acquainted with the role of the deacon. After turning in your application, you enter a two-year period of aspirancy where you're being formed through the four dimensions of formation, the spiritual, the intellectual, the human, and the pastoral. The next step is to formally request candidacy from the bishop. Upon acceptance, you'll discern your calling and candidacy for three more years. Candidacies when you know the church represented by the bishop are seriously investing in you and saying, yes, we find you a worthy and suitable candidate. There's still a long road to go in the final three years of candidacy, and no one is ever guaranteed ordination until their final year when they receive a call to orders. So today we're going to talk to the gentlemen about the process and ask them, what was your discernment like as you went through your five years of formation? Did you have questions? And if so, what were those questions? Tell me about your discernment. Probably the best way to describe that is going through the courses are wonderful and learning about how rich the Catholic faith is. But the more and more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. There's so much more to know, to learn. And it just gives you that uh, appetite to, to learn more about how rich our faith is. But that was, you know, how could I learn anymore? How could this be? And did we learn it? It's like, wow, this is really neat. I didn't know that about my faith. And and it builds on it, you know, right through. But it was just, I was always questioning, you know, do I really know enough about my faith to be a deacon? But uh, there's always going to be more to learn. Todd? Being a religion teacher, I thought I knew a lot. But when I started taking these courses, I realized I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. And um, so I gained a lot of knowledge um, through the courses I've taken and been able to uh, apply that knowledge to teach my students as well, which was nice. That's great. And, and just to clarify, uh, all the men go to St. Bernard's School of Theology and Ministry in Rochester, New York, but they don't actually physically go there. They can take all their classes online, and they can even take it from the comfort of their own home. And, and occasionally, once per semester, some classes will be taught live in person right here downtown in our formation center at uh, 795 Main Street. So it gives them an opportunity for those who like to be in person with the instructor. They drive out from Rochester themselves, and they spend the time with the guys. So there's two ways of doing it, and it's really made it much easier to take a class that you can take it from home if need be. That's what their education part is like. Then there's also, they do six full weekends of formation where we get together from Friday to Sunday, and we do more spiritual, human dimension pastoral dimension we focus on, and that lasts for four years. So tell me more about that and that questioning process. I just wanted to kind of interject a little bit of what formation is like, what they've gone through for the past five years. Tommy? So, you know, first starting off five years ago, not knowing what to expect, starting the classes was kind of a roller coaster. 
you know, so um, very overwhelming when we first started at Christ the King Seminary. And then just as we're getting used to it, we changed. Christ the King Seminary is no longer, now we're up in the air again. And it's the overwhelming thing started all over again. And then as we were going through formation, there was a lot of, wow, this is a lot. This is a lot to do until you get into it, you know, and it just really balances it out. And you realize it's not as overwhelming as I thought it was going to be. The biggest challenge for me personally was managing the weekends with my work schedule. You know, but once you find that balance, uh, formation, it just it just moves. It, for me, it just it was fluid. It moved. It just transitioned. One. It's not like well, one year ended and another year began. It's just all been continuous. It's like it's been a never-ending process. Good. Thanks, Tommy Marty. I think one of the biggest questions we all had was, you know, were we worthy? Could we do it? How are you going to do all this with your family, your job, doing the studies? I know for myself, I said I was going to never go back to school. I said that 30-something years ago, and I found myself going back to school. So that was a challenge. But my biggest motto that I kept saying to myself is, if I'm meant to be a deacon, God would get me through it. And now I look back and say, I guess... I'm supposed to be a deacon because he's gotten me through it, through ups and downs of life, challenges. He's gotten me here, so I'm going forward. Marty, you mentioned 30 years ago when you last went to school, and you said, I'll never do this again. What was that first class like? Do you remember going into that first classroom and that thought of... <laughs> that was very overwhelming, especially with the two professors we had. They were kind of co-teaching, and we got talking about Socrates and... <laughs> And I was like, oh, and actually my wife was choosing to take that class with me, and she was a teacher at the time, and afterwards she was like, you know what, it sounds really interesting, but uh, I don't think I'm going to finish this class with you, (laughs) because it was was pretty heady, but I look back and I can laugh about it, and I, I know I learned it. You know, a lot from that class, respect the teachers tremendously for their knowledge. I realize I'm never going to be a theologian, but I don't have to be. And if, as a deacon, I get asked a question, um, my answer is going to be, let me find out the answer for you. <laughs> At least you learned that, right, Marty? And I figured if, if you can survive Socrates, well, you could do the rest of it. It's, it's good. Kevin. So you used the word questioning, and when you brought that up, the seven of us sitting around the table all made sideways glances at each other and started smirking. We're only six weeks from ordination, and... I think in some ways we're all still questioning because we were smirking at each other. Like the questioning hasn't ended. But but what I mean by that is it's sort of this beautiful process that all of us continue to question and continue to struggle. But that's the beauty of it is it goes right back to the unworthiness piece is that we've decided to struggle in this together and question together. And now six weeks from now, God willing, we'll be ordained. And I think that struggle, that questioning has really strengthened all of our faith. It's, uh, it, it's, it's challenging us to take this really seriously and to give it all we've got, and it's, uh, it's been a beautiful process. That's great, Kevin, and I think with such short time before ordination and all the wrestling that you made me doing is it becomes like WrestleMania. It's, it gets a little crazy, doesn't it? The biggest struggle has probably been the director of Deacons. That's been a big big (laughs) one. Oh, wait, that's Tim. That's a just kidding. I'll talk to that guy. Yeah, Yeah. so 
through the faith journey and stuff, I always felt that I was in the right place, that God really wanted me to do this. So that really helped me through the um, struggles. And it, it really has been a struggle at times, going back to school after, like Kevin says, Marty says, after 30 years and stuff, it's, it's sort of hard, especially being a, from an engineering background and getting into the academics of Socrates and philosophy and writing papers. It was quite chore, especially after you work a full day of work. And then now it is easier. It's definitely easier taking classes from the uh, comforts of home and stuff, but you still got to do the homework. But I think one of the most rewarding parts of uh, the whole formation process has been our formation weekends, getting together as the guys and stuff. And I learned a lot in the academics, but I learned so much more from these guys. So. Great. Thanks a lot, John. Um, and, and that kind of jumps into that a little bit of, tell me more about the challenge. I always like to hear about what the challenges that you've had through this past five years, because I learned, and then I think it shares with so many other people of the fear of the unknown sometimes uh, stops people from stepping forward uh, because it's like that, like you said, Marty, after 30 years, I'm not going back to school, you know, but and how do you overcome that fear? And, and what were those challenges that you encountered? I think you're going to find that it really isn't that much different than the answer we gave you to the previous one in regards to what the big question was, and that is, are we really being called? Everything that we've done up to this point in our career, in our life decisions, has been, is this something that I want to do, where this is something totally different. Is God calling me to do his work? And I think, like Kevin said a moment ago, we really don't know, even though that we're, we're this close to the end. But the confidence comes back and kind of looking at the way Marty articulated, it was something has been like an invisible force behind us that has allowed us to keep going. So the challenges, if you took them one at a time, you know, one class, one assignment, one maybe setback within family life that was threatening it, if you just kept moving, uh, moving your feet, I, I used to say, Somehow, if it's meant to be, it's all going to work out. And I'm not sure where it, it came up. I think it was in a retreat I did a long time ago. It was the I think it's Psalm 46 that says, Be still and know that I am God. So I married that with just keep moving my feet. And those things that seemed bigger than me, bigger than the challenges that I could overcome, I just gave them to God and just kept showing up. That's great, John, just to be able to look forward and not let the distractions and uh, bear you down and weigh you down uh, through the whole process. Tommy. You know, talk about fear. I remember one of the fears that I had was, what if I don't make it? What if I realize this isn't for me? How will the people at church view me? How will my family view me? Part of the deaconate formation has been that transformation where it's no, no longer thinking about myself. But at that time, it was a very real fear before I had that point. And one thing that I, I was immediately moved by was how welcoming everybody was in formation, how welcoming, how welcoming you were and, and, and all the guys and, and that we we're all in, in this together. And um, then I realized that I shared a lot of the same fears with everybody else here. And I wasn't alone in that. And that was very reassuring. And as time moved on, like I said, it wasn't so much about ourselves anymore as it was for God. But I feel like if it wasn't for me, 
then it would be just as much accepted by these guys and by the church and by everybody else as if it really didn't matter which direction I went. I always was going to feel like I was accepted. That was a big thing for me to overcome. Great. Very true, Tommy. Good. I'm so glad Tommy said that because I haven't had these feelings for probably the last year or so, but it used to creep into my mind. What if I just flame out? Right? Like, what if I can't keep up with the academics or I just discern this is no longer for me and I step away? And, you know, Tommy brought that up. And I remember sharing it with my wife, and she said, and she's so wise in some of these things, but she said, okay, so after three years or four years, you discern yourself out of the diaconate. Where is your faith life? Worse? Better? And I thought, oh my gosh. And what I mean is, whether or not ordination finds its way to my plate or not, at this point now is irrelevant because my faith has been changed irreversibly. And she was right. It wouldn't matter if, if, or if I just discerned that ordination wasn't part of my future. My faith, my faith family, my, all of it was actually just better, just better for the experience, whether or not the finish line came to fruition like I had either hoped or thought about. It wasn't that I didn't care, but once I was sort of impartial to that, everything just sort of fell into place and it felt better because I could just say my, my faith has grown from this no matter what and it's been great. I think Ignatius would call that indifferent. Mm, that's a good point. So I, I've heard a lot about the, the, the struggles and the trials of tribulations of possibly the intellect side of it and, and getting back into school after being out for so many years. But that's just one of the four pillars of, of formation, the other being the human the spiritual, and the pastoral. I'd like to kind of go towards the human dimension of your formation and talk about that. And I think, uh, John, you started to about when you mentioned the weekends of formation. Talk about that human dimension in, in the formation. Yeah, like I said, uh, um, I learned quite a bit academically through the um, courses I've took, but uh, um, I think I learned so much more from my fellow students or my fellow classmates. We all have the same faith, but we have so many different viewpoints and different takes on things. And so I learned so much more from each one of these guys than I ever did even from the classes. That's great. Thanks, John. Yeah, Jim. But if I look back at myself five years ago as a human being, with my family, friends, other, I am a much more patient person. I have a lot more understanding, sympathy, uh, compassion, empathy for people, a lot easier. And I'm able to be with them fully, whether it's my family or, or just somebody new I met. And I know five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And by the grace of God and, and these people here, I'm learning the lesson, or learning lessons that are just make me happy. I mean, make my soul happy that that's I wouldn't have been five years ago. Kevin. So it's not uncommon that over a five-year window that people might go through some sort of struggle in their life. But I found it to be really curious as I'm looking back across the last five years. Each of our wives at some point sort of bumped into their own struggle, whatever that was. And they were varied along the way that each of our wives sort of ran into a, 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 a tough spot. And the fraternity that happened here among the men was extraordinary and powerful. Praying for one another, being with one another, it was really impactful. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. 
I think the relationship that you build with, we call each other brothers. We love each other as much as if we're true family. And you hear something said all the time that God won't give you something that you can't handle. But in entering into this, you think, oh, maybe it is too much. And, you know, with the support of everybody on these weekends, you could come there, you could open up. And, you know, we're vulnerable with each other, and that was okay. And we kept it here, and it's brought us closer. So it's been a beautiful process. You think, oh, six weekends, how can I give that up? I want to do this, I want to do that. But you got to look at the bigger goal, the end. So many people live their life, and they're not looking towards the end, right? What's your goal? Because if you don't have a goal, then you could be doing anything. And eventually, you're going to be on your deathbed, and you're probably going to have regrets. And that's what I said to myself. I don't want to be on my deathbed saying, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. And that's where I think, like Kevin said, you don't want to say, oh, I I guess I could have just gotten out of this. But at this point now, it's like there's no stepping back. It's going forward. And when you look at why you're doing it, the relationship that you've built with Jesus Christ, that's why. And you go, thank you, Lord, for being there during the tough times. Because without you, I wouldn't be here. That's great, Marty. John. One of the hidden benefits of the program is the extensions of the program that really are agencies outside of the Diocese of Buffalo and that we gain access through our field ministry activities. And a lot of uh, the fellows here had opportunity to be trained in spiritual ministry at Roswell Park Cancer Hospital. And I'm sure all those who participated can definitely attest to the growth in their human character just from the time that they spent at Roswell uh, visiting the sick and just totally transforming their perspective on the fragileness of life, the value of life, and really getting to be an agent of Christ, spending time with people in benefiting them, not so much in what we said, but just being there, sharing conversations, sharing life stories with them, and making them feel just a little bit better that day. That's great, John. Uh, You mentioned field ministry. Tell me a little bit more about Roswell and your, your field experience there. What was it that helped you feel like you were possibly living, this is your diaconal role in your ministry to other people? Well, we began the program with a little bit of training, and I think all of us felt that, you know, we'd get a month of training before we'd actually visit the patients in the room. Uh, but I think it was a second class we all got, yes, assigned. We all got assigned to go to, go to rooms and, and visit patients, and, you know, that can be very daunting and, and intimidating. But if you just surrender, I guess is the, the best word, that, like, there's no way that you're going to know exactly what it is that you need to say, exactly what can bring comfort to somebody who's in that situation. But when you just yielded to the Spirit, it was always amazing the things that could happen almost you know, serendipitously, that you happen to say the right thing, do the right thing, provide communion to somebody, arrange for anointing, just because you happened to, to show up that day, there we had an excellent mentor there. Employees at Roswell are just wonderful examples of the living Christ. 
in providing this care to the, you know to the sick every day and you can't help but be influenced by their example great thanks john i remember that first week we all went there and uh john john jim and kevin all went there with me with a couple other guys and the look on all of your faces when Reverend Melody Rutherford said, next week you're going in on your own, and the look of fear, it became the, the presence of not knowing what to say when you walk into a room, really became just being present to the other people, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Yes, Kevin? Tim, just to stay on that Roswell thread, I'm, I'm actually going to borrow a little bit from the last two, two people that commented. John Phillips, you said how we learned so much from each other as our brothers on these formation weekends and things. I couldn't agree with you more, but I was struggling to articulate, well, how would I, like, how would I put that into words? Like, what did I learn from you? And it was right then that John Ryan talked about the verbatims at Roswell, which is when you go into a room, you then write down afterwards everything that transpired, every word that was said, and we, we talk those out in a group setting, and your peers sort of correct you or provide guidance or give you some help. What, what could have been done differently to bring more comfort to that person? And it was there that I recognized that the five of us there, some were introverts, some were extroverts, some were salespeople, some were engineers. It didn't matter. Those were the moments when every one of us, I feel like, had the experience when we were listening to somebody else's verbatim. We thought, that is just so rich. And although we were there trying to help the person doing the verbatim, we were internalizing it saying, oh, I could totally use that the next time I do a room visit with somebody who's who's in an end-of-life sequence or something. So the beauty of, and I was struggling with John, how do we articulate how much I've grown from you from all of us fraternally and that was just one example and that was one of many examples of that but it just it just helped me think through that yeah you find yourself coaching but yeah at the same time you were learning from from your classmates and i think in ministry that's we do that no matter how far we go into ministry and everything that we do as much as we try to coach and help others they're also feeding us and we're learning from them as well thanks kevin Tommy. we're talking about the human element to formation and and we can take seven complete strangers from all walks of life. Well, we still don't know where Kevin came from, but I mean, from I wonder too. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it was well played, well played. But nonetheless, seven strangers never met each other before, except for maybe um, Marty, Kevin, and and you know um, Tony, but in another class. But we can enter into a conversation. We can, we can discuss differences, but with such profound respect for each other and for what the other person is saying, even if it's in opposition of what maybe you feel, or there's, I mean, there's really very little discrepancies in what we believe, I would hope. But if we can do this here, when we're out in our parishes and we are presented with conflict, we are presented with somebody uh, that has a true problem or, or, or wants to discuss an issue that is maybe contrary to what we believe or maybe even contrary to our faith, this formation here has helped me understand how to address that out there, the same kindness, respect, and understanding the dignity of a human being that they're a child of God, no better, no worse, just like any one of us. And that's one thing that this bond that I've, that I've shared with these guys here have really, have really taught me. Great. Thanks, Tommy. I appreciate that. Another thing I'd like to talk about is, you know, as we talked on the human aspect of it, pastoral. 
you know, you kind of touched on that a little bit just now, Tommy, when you talked about uh, being able to go out there and, and work with others as you learn from each other. How have you developed pastorally? And maybe even, John, you touched on it when going to Roswell and what you learned. But kind of take that to another level. What is your pastoral dimension that has enriched your life? And it's kind of put another tool in your toolbox, if you will. So I think it for me, it really boils down to, do we truly believe that we are made in the image of God? Because if we do believe that, then I would look at another human being as if that was my child. You know, so if my child did A, B, C, and D, would I shut them out? I mean, Christ died with his arms open for a reason, is to welcome us. And I think that's the one thing that, from the pastoral care point of view, is to look at every person, one, as if Christ was looking at them, but especially as if they are Christ, you know. But it's that, that's, it's that fatherly, that parental type of compassion and mercy that you need to look at everybody. Great. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, John Phillips, you want to yes. say something? Yeah, I was going to just say, as far as pastoral care goes, uh, going back to Roswell, that was very profound for me. It wasn't me going into that room. It was the Holy Spirit working through me. And You go into the room, and it's like I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know what I was going to experience or who I was going to see. And it could be someone that totally didn't believe in God or anybody. You just don't know what to expect. And it was just through the Holy Spirit that they guided me in helping to comfort that person. I really appreciate that, John, because, John, I can probably say out of the seven of you, you're probably the quietest of the group. Uh, would you guys agree? Oh, you see, when you're not around. He's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the things that came out of your mouth and after your experiences were so profound that you could tell that it was just wasn't you. You, I think we all felt that, that you were just, your presence being there was, was God was with you. Something Tommy mentioned earlier about, you know, we're no better than anybody else. We're all, you know, sons and daughters of, of God. And what I've kind of programmed myself with, and, you know, I fail like anybody else, but when you try to look at somebody, Picture the face of Christ, and how do you not then respect them and take care of them? No matter their faults, no matter their weaknesses, we all have them. And just to be there for them, because that's what Christ did when he was on earth. You know, as he says, he, does, he didn't come for the righteous, he came for the sinners. And we all have ups and downs, we've all made mistakes. And I think people will respect if you treat them as an equal, because they are. And that's the biggest thing to remember, I think, when you're out there helping others is that we're just an extension of Christ to them. Reach out and help. And Marty, when you say that the formation process did have its ups and downs and difficult moments and challenges, but just knowing Christ was with you all the time and realizing that it really helped you. Excellent. Very good. Thank Jim. I'd like to just add a little bit. As the oldest son, you know, and as a father, always wanted to fix things, fix things. I'll fix it, fix it. But learning past care is, is not so much fixing things as, like Marty was saying, as being there and just being there that, you know, you care. You mean, you're trying to represent Jesus as God's love for somebody. And a lot of times it's not saying anything and not having to fix something, but just knowing that God put you there for a reason, maybe just to help a little bit, just to give somebody a little bit of uh, sunshine in there, just caring or something. So, it, and it was tough, uh, you know, because... I still have the tendency sometimes to want to fix things, but that's, <laughs> you can't fix everything, and that's not what we're always there for. That's not pastoral care. Right, right, just being present. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you, Jim, on that. And, 
the rest of you as well. I didn't get a chance to uh, experience what some of these other guys experienced at Roswell, but I do bring communion to the homebound at my parish. So I do have a similar experience to those four guys. So first time I went to a, a house to bring communion, I was definitely scared. And I am definitely an introvert, probably the second quietest in this group. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was thinking that as I said, John is the quietest. So um, I took five minutes just sitting in my car and just praying and calling on the Holy Spirit to give me the courage and confidence that I needed. And uh, I walked in there, and, um, and I let the Holy Spirit lead the conversation. And um, the rewards that I've received over the last several years doing this are just tremendous. <laughs> I get as much out of it as I give when I'm there. That's good. Kevin, you were going to say something. Yeah, I just, well, I so appreciate Todd saying that because what we're all discerning now is that we're about to be called pastorally into different things through some ministry of charity that we're going to choose in the future. And I'm humbled to be with these guys, but you really watch over five years how the Holy Spirit works on each of us. And it is calling us out into the world according to our own charisms, according to our own talents. And the Holy Spirit is, is just calling us outward to serve God's people with, as Pope Francis says, radical hospitality, whatever that looks like. And uh, I just, I love that about us, that each of us is going to bring something totally different to that. Great. Thanks, Kevin. One other thing I'd like to, to kind of look and turn towards now is to take yourself out of your own shoes. Put yourself in your family's shoes. How has this five years impacted them? You know, for the average person that's thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this call to the diaconate, but I'm just not sure. And because they have many concerns like you guys did when you first entered. How has it, as you look back in this past five years, what was the impact on the family? Kevin? For those of us that explore our faith and think about our faith, there are so many paradoxes to our faith, right? I mean, Jesus' whole life was paradoxical, right? That he surrendered everything and won everything. That, that in itself is a paradox. If you would have told me five years ago, hey, this is how much time you're going to invest over the next five years to this diaconate process. Here's how much time you're going to invest academically. Here's how much time you're going to invest pastorally on the weekends. My thought would be, well, then my marriage is going to suffer because that's a lot of time. And yet the paradox of our faith is so unique. I can only speak for Kathy and I. But I think other gentlemen would echo it as well. Our relationship as a married couple is better, not worse. And it was an investment. There, there's a lot at times. But the paradox of it is, is that we're better for it. And I can't explain that. It, the math doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't. And I'm really grateful for that now because our relationship when you ask how, how does this impact our families, I can only tell you the most important person in my life is my wife, and we're better for it. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. Marty. I have to speak sure. up because math always works, Kevin. Two plus two is always four, okay? <laughs> I use it in my business. It's always that. Okay? Marty's a math guy. The insurance guy. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, he a lot of the same thoughts. You know, I know my wife was really kind of hesitant from the standpoint of what's it going to do to us. And truly, I love her more now. You know, loved her lots before, but it's it's a different kind of love, deeper love. She's my partner for life, 
and this is just something the two of us are doing together. You know, she's going to play a different role, but she's going to be by my side, not behind me. She'll always be by my side. You invest into this, and you're getting graces back from God. And like Kevin said, you can't explain it, but he's giving you those graces to make that marriage bond strong. And that is also something that, you know, Deacon Tim, you said from the very beginning and heard it from other people. You can never let this process ruin that relationship or challenge it. If it is, well, you have to fix that first because you will not be a good deacon if you don't have a good marriage. So don't be afraid to say, hey, I need to step back, handle a challenge, and then continue on. And I've heard that happen with you know other people before us, and that's a great thing. So if somebody's listening out there thinking, oh, I'm having challenges, you know, fix those challenges. But if something happens during the process, don't be afraid to speak up. This is a volunteer army, and Christ will give you those graces that you need. That's great, Marty, because you're right. We've had men step away from the process somewhere in the middle and have to take care of the family because the family always comes first. And they've done that, and, and they've come back a couple years, two, three, four years later and continued their formation process. But Bishop has always found great respect in someone who's going to put the family first, and, and I think that's the most important thing always to remember because you're right, if this gets in the way of the family, it only hurts the family. But done correctly, it can strengthen the family as well. Thanks, Marty. You know, at first, it was, a, yeah, so we're looking at the schedules, and how are we going to make this work? We have four kids, you know, and they're all soccer and just football and baseball and you know, whatever. And my wife was just like, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I don't know how yet. We're going to figure it out. And me, I'm like, I got to figure this out right now. And she's like, don't worry about it. If it's meant to be, it's going to meant to be. Then, and, and she was the rock. She's like, stop stressing about this and you know when it came time for uh, when there's uh, the kids have to be in eight million different places when we're we have things going on so she didn't show up here on a weekend because she's taking she's driving kids from this practice to this game to this game she's getting out of work and that teamwork has dramatically and very profoundly deepened our relationship on a spiritual level an emotional level we haven't bickered which is we haven't argued in three years, so something's about to happen. <laughs> All right, I don't know, just waiting for something. But yeah, I mean, we have, I mean, it's this diaconate formation has brought our friendship, our teamwork, and our relationship just to a new level. That's great, Tommy. Appreciate that. John. As far as the relationship between my wife and I, it's very similar to what the other fellows had explained. I can't really define what happened there, but I, I guess it's just the dynamic that happened, had to happen over that duration, just forced us to work together, and that in turn drove our relationship together. What I'm holding out for is what effect it's going to have on my kids. They're all adult children now. Um, I think right now they're more curious, it would be the word that I would use. I think they're very glad to see their dad reaching out and helping others and trying to do noble things. But as far as what effect it's going to have on them, I, I think it's yet to be seen, and, but I can't imagine it not being something good. That's great that you say that, John, because I think there's that next-level effect that sometimes on the children, especially if they're grown and they're out of the house, you may not have contact, direct contact with them every single day, but it's just them hearing about what you're doing and how you're moving forward, and that if they're not 
close with the faith, if their faith is not very deep at this time, just by your actions, not by your words, I think can make profound changes in their life. Because you living out the joy of the gospel in your daily life and and showing that, uh, I think, really can have a profound effect on them. And uh, we can always, like I always say, the best thing you can do is pray for your family. And, and, you know, it's such a good example, of course, uh, the old saying, what you do speaks so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. So you can preach to your kids, but the best thing you could do is try to set a good example. Exactly. And I'd like to kind of turn towards my, my favorite of the four dimensions of formation is the spiritual. Take yourself back for a moment when you first entered uh, into this process five years ago. Where were you spiritually? Where are you today? Uh, different universe, different. I can't, you know, it's, it's, it's been really dramatic. And it has come through everything we've been talking about on this uh, conversation, which is some of it came through the academics, which changed my faith because I understood parts of it at a level I didn't before. Some of it came through the weekends, but, but a lot of it had to come through just each of us pushing each other. I think there was this sense of us holding each other to a high expectation. And, I, and even when it comes to our faith life, and I would get discouraged and the other guys would say, you got to pray about that or you have to. And all of those constant challenges to you know, be your best self were really enriching to my faith. And for me personally, I, based on, I know you and John Ryan walked through the uh, Ignatian spirituality, but that interestingly found me sort of in my fourth year of formation and has been really impactful. It's a, it's a very different way that I've ever interacted with my faith before, but it's been really profound. So it's really multi-layered, but when you asked us to say, well, how was it different five years to today? Uh, it's so multifaceted, I'm actually having trouble putting it to words, which is unique for me. I think <laughs> I can't comment, Kevin. You've just you've lost me speechless. <laughs> Go ahead, John. I think where it's in this faith journey and stuff, where I'm at right now is like I am just so much closer to Jesus Christ. It's like I've just learned to love him more intimately and follow him more closely. And a lot of it I think it's been through likewise through the Ignatius prayer process that I've just grown a new level of love for Jesus Christ. Yeah, do you think you'd ever, maybe five, even ten years ago, thought you'd find yourself just sitting there in the presence of God, not having to say, God, can you heal this? God, can you take care of this? But just being present and sitting still. Just being still, yeah. being present, and just feeling his, the overwhelming love from Jesus Christ. It's amazing. That's great, John. Jim, looking back over the past five years, it looks like it's you know stepping stones in spirituality. And I, mean, I was thinking, I'm doing the 19th annotation right now. Just I wish I would have done this four years ago, but I don't think I would have been ready yet. It's it's such a spiritual, emotional, life changing process that you know I, I see it using the rest of my life and just growing on it. But uh, just getting that closeness to Jesus in different ways that there's no way I would have been able to do it even three years ago. You know, just it, it's but it's, it's neat to look back and say you know, I had to learn about this first and then do this and learn about this and now I'm got a better grasp of it spiritually. I'm ready and so who knows what else Jesus is going to throw at us? But uh, he'll be there. I mean, it's just I'm close. I can 
it's a closeness, I guess. The, the happiness I seem to have now more because I'm spiritually close. Now I'm smiling sometimes doing stuff. So why am I smiling? So, well, <laughs> God loves me. I'm you know, just close to Jesus. You, know? you say, I tease at a butcher shop. I have people asking me all the time, you know, why are you smiling? So oh, I just had a good talk with Jesus this morning or something. So, and it is. It's, it's just infamous. I just can't fathom this, you know, four or five years ago. But it's just a process, you know, I just got to trust. So I hope everybody gets a chance to do that or... or it's it will, but it is. I think it's, uh, that's great, Jim. About a year ago or so, I think it was Kevin that said, everybody should go through some type of formation process, even if it's not for the diaconate. And I was thinking, as you guys are talking about your, your life and your marriage and your family, that maybe we need a formation for family or formation for wives and, and for marriage as a whole. I think it strengthens the opportunity to get closer to God. Tommy. You know, one thing that hit me last night, uh, right after, right after we celebrated mass together last night, we read the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles and the first ordination of the first deacons from the apostles. And over two thousand years, and we are part of that process. Wow, that's just unbelievable. I mean, to be able to be a part of the apostolic succession. I mean, just really, just opened my heart to such an intimate love to be in love with Jesus Christ is just it's 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 another world like Kevin said it's just it's out of this universe that's great Tommy appreciate that Todd I have to uh echo what um Jim said and also what John Phillips said about the 19th annotation I too am praying the 19th annotation this year and um I've grown so much closer to God as a result of it I have learned to just be still and just be in the presence of God and to really listen to God. And I've learned to that God communicates to us through different situations and through different people in our lives to really pay attention to what's going on around us because God is everywhere. That's great, Todd. That's great. And just to kind of piggyback on something Jim had said, had he done the 19th annotation at the very beginning, uh, and when you're doing the 19th annotations, uh, there's a point where you make an election. They call it an election. And that is really discerning the call that what am I called to do? And then making that commitment to Christ that you're going to follow through and stay with that. So towards the latter end of your formation process, and even it's even a great idea for someone who's ordained to then go back and do the 19th annotation because it gives the opportunity to say, this is what I'm called to do, and I'm going to commit myself with Christ to keep moving forward. And on a spiritual level, it's just a whole different level that it takes you to. John. Can I just say one thing? Um, just for to clarify one thing that uh, Jim was saying, I did the 19th annotation 10 years ago when I started my faith journey. And it, so that's back when, likewise, I was a very ignorant Catholic, okay? And I didn't know nothing. But it sent me on, I think it firmly set me on the path that I was on. And so... When I went through it 10 years ago is totally different than what I went through this time, but I think it set me on the right journey. Great. That's, that's great, John. It's good to hear. That's kind of like a bookend on, on your whole journey in your faith life. That's good. Well, this concludes our episode of Spotlight on the Faith with our seven men. I hope you tune in to our next episode, which will be the conclusion with our seven guests from today. We will explore their hopes post-ordination and maybe even the fears 
of the unknown. I want to take a moment to thank you for joining us today. This is Deacon Tim Criswell, your host, and may God bless you and protect you until you hear from us again. And remember, keep your spotlight on the faith.